not use it oh, that's no. over seven. Yes, that's for sure. So I use the step button and I use bubble. So let me quickly tie our conversation together. Well, my mother would eat Wheaties. She would eat them. Oh, here we go. We're live. I know. I saw your yeah. draw Okay, Jim. Oh, Burke is here. Good to have you, Burke. Jim, we're reading uh, Psalm 119, verse 49. All right. She's still doing it? I think that's verse 49. Just start reading and help. Uh, Zayin. Zayin. Which is matic, like a pickaxe. <laughs> Food, cut, nourish. Remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. The arrogant mock me without restraint, but I do not turn from your law. I remember your ancient laws, O Lord, and I find comfort in them. Indignation grips me because of the wicked. Who have forsaken your law. Your decrees are the theme of my song wherever I lodge. In the night I remember your name, O Lord, and I will keep you. This is my practice. I obey your precepts. There we go. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for the chance to come and enter your presence. And uh, we're always in your presence. But more, uh, more formally with the Bible study and with fellowship. And we certainly... Uh, are thankful for the chance to do this and to have the freedom to do it in this nation. And we're thankful for what seems to be good decisions from the president-elect on exactly that issue. And Lord, uh, we have, uh, of course, a, a prayer request for somebody that was just given to me a moment ago. And uh, uh, I don't know if I have permission to say it out loud, so I'm just going to raise up one of the people in the congregation right now that has a test which is, uh, needs to be evaluated further. And we would pray that you would be with her and uh, that all would be fine. And uh, you're in control of all things. We place this in your capable hands. Lord, we thank you for every good blessing that you've given us. We just uh, commit, the, commit this uh, time to you and just pray that you will be glorified through a proper handling of your word. And we would pray that it is a proper handling of it, that we're not mus misusing it in any way. We want to give you the praise and the glory and the honor that you're due. And we want to do it in our Lord. In Savior Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, Jody just walked in here about, uh, I don't know, 15, not even 15 minutes ago. And um, I've got to get this thing off or it's going to keep binging. Um, uh, about 15 minutes ago, and um, nobody was here. And she's like, where is everybody? I said, it's just us tonight. <laughs> and then, of course, the doctor and Mabel walked in and, it was just them at that point the time. So, and then all of a sudden, people start coming. So it's pretty wonderful. It's the way it works. Yeah, it's the way it works. But Christians um, on time. What's that? Yeah. Christians on yeah, time. Yeah, Christians on time. That's right. Never well, I, one thing I will tell you is that we will never be late for the rapture. When that <laughs> yeah. happens, we will we will be right here and on time. Um, we have. Um, I, I want to announce this just for the people that are watching, and um, I, I'm going to do it more in depth this Sunday, but I don't want to say too much because of some things have changed since then. But last week I asked um, uh, on the Prophecy Update if anybody, you know, knew how to do podcasts, MP3 download, and then uh, put it up on a site. And I must have had 40 people that offered to do that. They're like, I'll do that for you. And then I didn't know, and I didn't want to ask him because the person that maintains the website does everything. 
He's never asked for anything. He won't let me help him in any way. This is his ministry, he does for churches. So I never would have asked him to do this, and he says, I want to do this. And uh, so I told those people, and uh, then he said, but one thing they can do, and this is afterward, after I'd already emailed a bunch of people, one thing that he, they can do is actually just pull it off the internet and then put it on like Google Drive. And then from there, they could take the, the um, uh, he can merge in, he's got to number them, he's got to put them on a certain thing, he's got to do things that he wants to do so this properly presented. And um, the reason why I'm not going to say what he asked me to say is because somebody emailed me and I didn't realize the scope of what he's done is he's already downloaded everything. I mean, Genesis and Exodus and, you know. So um, it may be that we don't need any more help than that. And I've just got to wait and see, you know, after people communicate with each other. But I just wanted to thank the people that were willing to do that because so many people says, I'll do that. And um, like I said, I'm going to say this again on Sunday, but it just can't believe how much it touches my heart that people would volunteer for that because I just don't have the time and um, uh, like I said there were several people several people that have emailed that have already downloaded quite a few of them I don't think all of them like this one guy but um, and they all said I can send them to you know your web guy and blah 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 and uh, I didn't know you could do this until Sunday and, and you know people start telling me they've already done this kind of stuff so you, you know you, uh, if you open your mouth and speak People respond. It, it, it mm -hmm. never ceases to amaze me. Every need is met yeah. in the it's Lord's good church. To know that the word is out. It's unreal. <laughs> the word is out. You know, and I'm not one to ever ask for things, and I, I try to do things myself. But that's some tech, technology I can't do. I still only have a cell phone, and I've got this what? iPad. With, you don't have a cell I'm phone. sorry. I'll, I'll <laughs> plug in the wall phone. I don't have no, a cell phone. Yeah. You know, I, I don't have any technology at all except this iPad, and all I know how to do is send emails on it. So, anyway, I wanted to thank them here in case they watch this and don't watch the update, and then I'll thank people on the update as well. And if I have more information from the web guy, I will announce that on Sunday. Um, but uh, we're in Romans 2, verse 24 today. And, um, Where should I start? Uh, well, let me see. We'll go back and we'll start at a nice, uh, you'll read from, uh, let's see, 224. Whoops. Um, we started two, with 21 last week. Yeah. Um, we no, if you start with 22, that's a paragraph. And then uh, just read down through 24. Okay, 22, 22. You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? 24 read, As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Okay. He pulls back into the uh, scriptures to give a point concerning what is going on. And what does it say? The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You don't need to read any further than that to know that he's talking to the Jewish people. And, oh, talking about that. I'm so excited. Jonah is amazing. You know, I've typed the whole, the whole book except the very last chapter, and um, uh, I got up verses 1 through 4 of Jonah chapter 4 last Monday. And then I've just been looking at the last few verses. It is astonishing. I, it, it's just astonishing. Talk, I'm, what is it picturing? It, it, it is picturing something so marvelous, so amazing, and the wording is so precise in the last chapter of Jonah that it may take a couple more sermons to finish it. But um, 
uh, it, it's bearing on what we're talking about right now. And you know, I, I always wonder, am I going down the right path because of my Hebrew is limited. And so what I will do when I question something is I will go to Sergio and we'll talk about it. And I don't like to give away any of my sermon information because I want him to have the same surprise that everybody else gets. But I was so anxious that I said, now what does this say to you? And he's like, you know, I've never seen that before. And he's read this probably a million times. And then um, uh, I, I started asking him some questions to see if he could figure out the line of uh, thought that I was going in. When it dawned on him, he goes, oh. He, he was astonished. Mm. I'm telling you, Jonah chapter 4 is really marvelous. So keep that in mind. Uh, if the Lord doesn't come first, it'll be about 10 weeks when we, before we do it. So, well, you've got, they're about nine weeks in advance, and I've got that one to do. So um, uh, I, it'll give me time to refine it and everything. But we'll start with Jonah chapter 1 this week. And uh, Jonah chapter 1, what we talk about there, actually bears on what's going to be revealed in Jonah chapter 4. That's marvelous. But Paul is going back to the law. Yes. Are these in the archives already? No, oh, I no, no. They're, no. No. Absolutely not. And if they were, they would be scheduled. They wouldn't be out. I can't, I, I can't tell you how marvelous the, the wording is in the Hebrew and how wrong translations are. I, I, I will tell you this, if you're scholarly enough to do this before we go on, I, I, it, it bears on what Paul is saying right here about the gen, name of God being blasphemed among the Gentiles, so keep that in mind. But if you go through chapter 4 of Genesis, one translation out of 20 has the right Genesis translation. or, or Jonah? Jonah chapter 4. Jonah. One Jonah. translation that I, I have, and I go to 20 translations of the uh, of the Bible, and I look at them for each sermon, plus the Hebrew, so that's 21, plus the New King James, which isn't on it, so that's 22 I use for every sermon. And one translation has the wording right. And he only, I'm talking about two verses that he has correct, but um, there are other parts of it that nobody has right. And I'm, I am certain of this. I'm 100% certain that what you are reading is not what God is trying to tell you. So stay tuned for uh, chapter 4 of Jonah, unless the Lord comes first, and then he's going to reveal it to us anyway. But it is really exciting. Really exciting. Okay, so um, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, chapter uh, verse 24. We often make our mental associations of things, um, of things unseen by things which we see. If we buy a car, a Ford perhaps, mm -hmm. and I read this last week, like I said, I got through the first paragraph, and it is a lemon, then our perception of Ford, the company, will be negative. If our friends buy Fords too, and they're all lemons, the name of Ford will be found in low esteem among those looking for a car. Okay, And that's why the American auto industry suffered for so long, is because they were not producing what they could. I remember watching a special on Ford. I think it was Ford. It might have been uh, one of the others, but I think it was Ford. And they were interviewing the union workers on the line. And they were saying, you're having all these problems with, with uh, quality, and what do you, this is like one of those 60-minute things or something. And um, none of them tried to hide it. They said, we don't care. They, 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 right on this interview, one of them said, when, I'm, when the processing line is going through, my job is this part of the car. And he says, I always take a hammer and hit right there so that I know that every Ford, or I'm just saying Ford, in the world has my signature inside of there. And if, yeah, can you imagine that? He's willfully damaging the car on the inside. It'll be covered with upholstery, but it doesn't matter, you know? And that was the attitude of him. So the perception is of things unseen is often by things that are seen. The term for blasphemy is found in Romans 3, 8. 
and is translated as slanderously reported in the New King James Version. Later in, uh, um, I'm sorry, in Romans 3.8, um, later in uh, Romans 14.16, it is translated as be spoken of as evil. Once again, this is all in the New King James Version I'm referencing. When you buy a dud car, your inclination is to tell others not to buy one from that crummy company. Yeah, I got a lemon, and don't buy one of those, right? Or you may say something even worse. The people of Israel were selected by God as his special people, and thus their actions reflect directly on others' perception of him. And that's what Paul is saying there. He's saying that God's name is blasphemed among the nations because of you. Their actions caused the name of God to be blasphemed. And I, maybe I say it, and I, if I do, yes, I do. Ezekiel 36, no. Anyway, I'll read it to you in a minute, just so that the Old Testament says this as well. This isn't something that is Paul just saying something negative and citing one verse out of context from the Old Testament. The Lord himself says this through Ezekiel. But we'll go on. Um, the people of Israel were selected by God as his special people, a term am segula, my treasured possession. Am is people and segula is like a treasure or whatever. So, And thus their actions reflect directly on others' perceptions of him. Isaiah 52 verse 5 speaks of this. Let me read that to you. Isaiah 52 verse 5 says, you know, the whole Old Testament is full of it, of sure. him talking about how precious his name is and how it's being disgraced by them. Um, uh, now, therefore, what I have spoken here, says the Lord, that my people are taking taken away for nothing. Those who rule over them make them wail, says the Lord, and my name is blasphemed continually every day. Well, the reason why is because they are being exiled because they haven't been obedient to him. And in their exile, it implicitly blasphemies his name because they're saying your God is impotent. He can't save you. He can't rescue you. And our God must be greater than yours. And so he's telling the people of Israel that my name is blasphemy because of your exile, but your exile is because of your disobedience. So one way or another, it always comes back to them. Um, the Gentile world at large railed against Israel because of their conduct, and by default they railed against the God of Israel. However, Israel's disobedience actually demonstrates God's greatness and his mercy even more. In Ezekiel 32, God explains why he was willing to restore Israel. Even after a second instance of disobedience and the crucifixion of his son, this resurrection or restoration occurred, exactly as the Bible predicted in the last century, first in 1948 with the land, and then in 1967 with the city of Jerusalem. That's uh, Ezekiel 36.22, which says this. Um, I don't know why I put that, but Ezekiel 36.22. And I want to read you from that chapter if it's not what I... Uh, oh, yeah, thus says the Lord God, because the enemy has said of you, aha, the ancient heights have become our possession, therefore, therefore prophesy and say, thus says the Lord God, because they make you desolate and swallow you up on every side so that you become the possession of the rest of the nations. And you are taken up by the lips of talkers and slanders by the people. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, the valleys, the desolate wastes, uh, wastes and the cities that have been forsaken, which become plunder and mockery to the rest of the nations all around. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, surely I have spoken in my burning jealousy against the rest of the nations, and against all Adam, who give my land to themselves as a possession, and with wholehearted joy and spiteful minds, in order to plunder its open country, 
Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, and the valleys, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and my fury, because you have borne the shame of the nations. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I have raised my hand in an oath that surely the nations that are around you shall bear their own shame. But you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel. So you can see the mercy of God based on his covenant. They disobeyed. They were exiled. He brought him back. They continued to disobey, nailed his son to the cross, and yet he promises to restore them back to the land once again. His grace and mercy and because of his covenant faithfulness. And he says, with my raised hand, he swore by it. And so that's going to happen. It's, it's a done deed. Talks about multiplying the people on the, the land all the way through the chapter. And, um, Is that 30, 32? Uh, oh, I was reading 36. What did I? Yeah, 36, 20. Uh, that was 36, 2. Oh. Okay, but I'm sorry. Yeah, I, maybe I said 32. No, no, but, no. no. I was, I was oh, okay. Trying to find that was 36, 2. Okay, and then in verse 36, 22, after saying all of the things that he says he's going to do, listen to what he says. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, going back to what he said to Paul, Say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake. All of the things he's just promised to do for Israel and to take care of all the nations around him. I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And then he repeats it again one or two more times in the chapter. So you've got him making these promises based on his grace and his mercy, but it's not because of them. It's because solely of him and his covenant promises to them. He is God, and he will not have his name continued to be blasphemy despite their insistence on that occurring. Bring him back to the land. What has he done? He's brought him back into the land of Israel. They're there right now, and what are they doing? They're blaspheming his name among the nations. Is, is, yes, the nations are doing it as well, but they have not called on Jesus they, every prophecy update, you know, gay rights and all of the things that they're doing, trying to be like the nations around them, and they're bringing disgrace upon the name of the Lord, and they will suffer for it. They're going to go through the tribulation period until they call on Jesus and they get things right. So that's what's, that's what's coming on the nation of Israel along with all of the nations around the world because of Israel. The Lord says elsewhere, you know, they've divided my land in Joel chapter 3. I'm going to judge the nations down in the valley of Jehoshaphat. So it's going both ways. The entire world, Israel and Gentile alike, are going to be judged because of Israel and God's promises to them. So it, it, it's, it's like a double-edged sword, which is just... I also think uh, replacement theology is blasphemy. Uh, it's it's crazy. It, it is. I was thinking that same thing today. I was in the back cleaning the kitchen, and I thought exactly that. I, I get, I, I hate to say it, you know how upset I get when these people come and they make their comments about, well, you know, you're misreading scripture, and there's no uh, Israel anymore, and the people that are in the land aren't uh, the, the people that were exiled 2,000 years ago, and they try to say all of these things. Okay, the people in the land of Israel claim to be Israel, but they're not Israel, but that group of people happened to be returned to Israel on the exact day that the Bible said they would be returned, and then they got Jerusalem back on the exact day that the Bible said, but that's not the group of people. And all of the things that are coming true in the Old Testament about Israel aren't true even though 
uh, about the people that are there now, even though the Bible said that somebody would be returned that would do exactly what's happening. It's crazy, and you're right. It is actually blaspheming the name of the Lord and his, the integrity of his word when people deny what is going on in the land of Israel. It, it, it has become ridiculous. And as I said in the prophecy update a week or two ago, it is acceptable to understand. I, I don't agree with it, but I understand how people could have made that mistake. In the no, past. Yeah, in the past. All, right. up, even maybe up until, you know, I don't know at what point, but 1948 should, yeah, about 1946, people should have started to say, you know, we're really wrong about this thing that's going on here. There's a point where the tide turned and people should have realized it and they still argue against it. And it really is, it's blasphemy because the Bible is correct. It is, it, it, its integrity is there. The pictures, all of the pictures, you take Joseph, what, Joseph is exiled, right? He's down in Egypt, and then the brothers come, and they don't recognize him. Then they go back, and then they come down again. Finally, he reveals himself to them. That can only be one thing. Jesus revealing himself to the people of Israel, and them going, aha, the number of times they went down. Everything points to what is happening in the world right now. So, yes, Israel blasphemed the, the name of the Lord where they were among the nations, and now back where they are again. It is irrelevant because the Lord's name is on them. And his name is all that matters. Okay? And so when he says that I am going to do this thing, he's going to do it. And when he makes a covenant promise to a group of people, he is going to uphold that. You're absolutely right. It is it is blaspheming the word of the Lord to say that Israel is not who should be in the land at this time and that the churches replace them and on and on and on. Yes. Did the churches fall heir to all this, all the curses? If if we well, no, you know, blessings? I mean, it's crazy. No, I, 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 is it, oh, that I see what you're saying. Do, yeah. do the churches get the blessings, and do they get the? In other words, if the replacement theology is true, yeah, <laughs> and that makes sense. no sense at all. That makes no sense. At all. You're absolutely right no about that. No way of having the same curses. Yeah, there's no way. It has to be the people of Israel. So, um, come here. I, I've got something to give you, please. Um, this is my mother that's late again, as always. Oh, but oh, I made a oh. huge mistake. I didn't know that this was in the house. This is from your granddaughter for Christmas. It's been sitting there. And so please take that and thank her for that, okay? Before the weather gets warm. Yes. Yeah, before the weather gets warm. You know, we had that cold weather last Sunday. And it, it's not my fault because I didn't realize they were there. But um, if I had known, I would have given them to her much earlier. But there you go. She's almost in tears now. Um, so um, having said that, we'll get back to the commentary. Um, Oh, one more thing about that. Uh, you had said it, and I was thinking the opposite when you said that about the church and the, the blessings. But I was thinking you were saying that if the church did not accept that Israel is the people there, does that negate their salvation? And the answer is no. Um, in other words, the reason why I say that is because there are people out there that say all good Christians should support Israel. And to me, that's the stupidest argument in the world. All good Bible-believing Christians should, but there are people that don't have a Bible that are Christians. They're all over the world, right? People have called on Jesus, and there's maybe a copy of the, the Gospel of Mark in their possession, maybe none of that. Somebody went out into the woods and evangelized somebody. They don't know who Israel is. That is a non-starter with me. But if you are a Bible-believing Christian and you have the full Bible and you're in a church, you should accept that Israel is back there for a reason. So it, it doesn't go as far as some people say, okay? The second thing is that um, it's thing, I, I, I get this question a lot. 
is um, I get it about the rapture, uh, believing in the rapture. I get it about Israel. People will email and they'll say something like, if uh, this person doesn't believe in the rapture, are they going to be raptured? The answer is yes. If they are sealed with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, 13, and 4, they're just going to be more surprised than the rest of us. But, yeah. That's right. That's right. But, you know, it, the answer is yes. If the Lord is going to rapture his people, he's going to rapture all of them. If they don't believe in Israel and, you know, their replacement theologians, that's not going to save them from being raptured. Nothing is going save to keep them. Save them. Keep them. Keep them from being raptured. Thank you. But there is, there is nothing that is going to keep a Christian from being raptured because they're a Christian. If you are saved by the blood of Christ, you are going out when the, the trumpet is sounds. Okay? That's all there is to it. So, I, and I like to say, I get that question a lot because people have family members sure. that don't believe this doctrine or they don't believe that doctrine. If you're saved by Jesus, you are saved. It's done. So, we want to keep the salvation issue as simple as possible because Jesus keeps it as simple as possible. You are saved by grace and through faith and nothing else. So uh, that reminds me now she's walking in. I opened up like 35 coconuts today and I left them at home. I forgot to bring them. So she always oh. takes some. So I just remembered that. Anyway, so there they are sitting there. All that work for naught. But, um, not uh, your fault again, right? Not my fault again. No, I was busy. And you, no, here's what happened. I went in after that and Hidako was out. And so I said, um, uh, I said I'm going to do something nice for her. And I gave all seven chihuahuas a bath. I took them up in the bathroom with me and oh gave them all a bath. She's going to come home and be really happy. But because of that, I was late. And if, if I pulled up my shirt right now, you'd see little scratch marks all over me because they're like, they, they don't like getting in that bathtub. But that's why I forgot the coconuts is because I, I got myself into something else. But it, it, I'm telling you, seven of them, it was a lot of work. But uh, anyway, so we'll get back. Um, I, I've read Ezekiel 36 starting in the second verse and then the uh, curses in the 22nd verse. God demonstrated mercy to Israel while showing the nations his holiness. His word is vindicated in and through his disobedient people. If Israel wasn't disobedient, there would be no reason for him to call them back. And so he wouldn't have that, the honor of being vindicated through his mercy in that sense. He wouldn't have the glory of having a fulfilled prophecy, saying, I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to do it at this time in history, and he does it. So there is good that comes from everything that God does. Even if there's bad in the process, there is always good from what God does. When we have something happen in our lives, we always have to look at it from that perspective. We have to say, I understand that this bad thing that has happened in my life has a good end. And, it's, and I got some of the worst news. I, I was in tears all day long for two days ago. Terrible news. I, I could not stand what had happened. But there is a good reason for it. And I'll let you know about that on Sunday. But um, uh, just very, very difficult news. It, it was very difficult for me. But um, I, the, what I said to the Lord, you know, this is your world and these are your people. And Everything that happens happens because of your sovereign hand. So remember that when you you know when something bad happens, when a family member dies, when whatever, the Lord is in control and He proves it through Israel again and again and again. When a disobedient, stiff-necked people gets His mercy, we know that we're on the right track with the right God mm -hmm. instead of having a God that tells us people to go out and blow themselves up and you know it just it 
look at the world around you and know that you are on the right track when you're following Jesus. Okay, um, an important point to consider here is that since Israel's exile and the establishment of the church, it is we, we who bear the name of God. Israel bears his name in the sense that they are his people and he made a covenant with them. But while they are under punishment and until they call on Jesus, we are the ones that are bearing the name actively, not passively, actively. They are passively bearing the Lord's name right now and they're actively being disobedient to it until they call on Jesus. But I will tell you this, I, I just love it. I have a YouTube, you know, I, I, I turn it on and when I'm done with all my sermon stuff and I'm like looking for prophecy links and stuff, I uh, uh, have a, a, what's called a YouTube mix and it just picks songs for me based on what I've looked at in the past. And it always pulls up all of these Messianic Jewish believers in Israel singing these songs. And some of them are so marvelous. And I think, you know, even among this disobedient group of people, there are some that have called on Jesus. And there they are praising him, singing in Hebrew, and it's got the, the Christian, uh, uh, I, I'm sorry, the uh, uh, English subtitles on there. And I listen to that, and then the next thing comes up, and it's some rock and roll song. <laughs> you know, it just it picks my songs based on what I've clicked on in the past, and so it picks all kinds of crazy stuff, and I like it. Sometimes I X off something because it's so bad. Last night one came up that was horrifying, but I and I don't know how they picked it before. No, 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 nothing oh, I've ever so picked. Ever. Oh, it's, it, it's a related song, but oh. this was wasn't related to anything. Oh, it was okay. like this blood death metal oh. song, and I'm like, what? It's horrible. They try and throw the yeah, I guess to see if you want to listen to you it. Haven't broadened your horizon. Uh, maybe I, I didn't broaden my horizon, my horizon on that man. That went pow about two seconds later. So, it was horrible. So about this last verse here. Too, yes. Uh, Christians are also blaspheming his name. Too. Well, it's like okay, it's like yeah, I'm a Christian, and then you go off and oh, do something horrendous. Horrendous. And it's like okay, stop. It's like you know you're making all of us look bad it, it, and God. Well, and, and what about the people on Facebook? I'm a Christian, and what do they do the next yeah. day? They post their horoscope, no, and you no, think, what are you I thinking? Know. I see that all day long. All day long, people are you know. I don't understand that. I don't either. I, I don't understand how people can make the mental disconnect and say, I'm going, you know, worship Jesus on Sunday and I'm in church, and then throughout the week they're posting stuff that is literally crazy. I don't care about politics. You want to post something political, and unless it's on the other side where it's, you know, they're supporting somebody that's killing babies. Right. But you know what I'm saying is, I don't care what people post. They can post whatever they want, but when it's something that's actually anti-Bible, I, 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 I cannot follow it. So as confusing as it is to us, think about the non-believer observing. Observing, and that's like, the problem. That's what he's talking about. My name is blasphemed among the nations because of you, and that's what we're doing. Churches all over America doing perverse things now and saying they're Christian churches, and people right. look at that and say, oh, well, it's okay to do this thing because these supposed Christians are doing them. Fall Christians. Yeah, fall Christians, that's right. Um, okay, oh, so we bear, we bear, faux Christians, that's a better word. We bear the name of God, the name of Jesus. When our actions contain inappropriate conduct, the name of God is blasphemed among the, sa of the unsaved. Who in their right mind would want the title Christian when they see people living unholy, disrespectful lives? But actually, that's what's enticing to the world. And so, the, what was it uh, this today? It, it may go into a prophecy update sometime. Today, I was reading an article. What is the girl's name? She's a popular Christian singer. And Christian Stanfield? No. Anyway, no, that's somebody else. Somebody that is singing, and they have every year that um, uh, concert 
that's in Atlanta. It's uh, the um, uh, Francis Chan goes there, Beth Moore, and all of these people, and they're supposed to be honoring like Christ. And what's that? Passion. Oh. The Passion. Okay. They're supposed to be honoring the Lord, and this one lady is full LGBT, and they allow her to sing at this thing. Oh, and I think, what are you oh, thinking? Lord. And then, of course, they violate the Bible by having certain speakers that shouldn't be speaking oh, to an audience like that. They do it every year, and I think, what are you thinking? What are the consequences for standing in front of the Lord? Is it worth going and standing in front of 60,000 people and saying, look at me, when you're doing something that's going to bring dishonor on his name? And it goes on all the time. And that's exactly what Paul is saying about Israel. We might as well say it about ourselves, because go look in the mirror, people. We are so gross in America right now. Some of the articles that I've read that Christians are doing this week are astonishing. They're, they're literally astonishing what people allow in churches nowadays and say that they are Christians. So, um, life application. Do you have a Christian symbol on your car? This is my, my question for you. Do you does that, anybody here have a Christian symbol on your car? We've got one here. you got one. Okay. Here was, I'll tell you my idea about this. If so, do people see someone who is acting properly on the road? Right? Okay. Um, what about those you work with? If they know you are a Christian, then are your daily actions calling them to ask more about your faith? Or are they making a mockery of the name of Jesus? As you go through your day, what's that? That's, I, and I will tell you something about that in one second. As you go through your day, consider how the things you do affect others' perceptions about the Lord. So, I thought, here, here's what I thought when I had my old Nissan Titan. I thought, I don't know if I should put a Christian sign on the back of my car. Because if I do, I am bound to jump out of my car at somebody and pop him in the head someday because I, you know, some people need a pop in the head. But everybody else is going to say, well, look at that guy popping that guy in the head and he's got a little Christian symbol on my car. But I wanted to have Christ on my car. And so what did I do? I put him all over the car, on the hood. You remember that. I had all over that from front to back. There's no way I could forget that I had Christ on my car, and that's why I did that. Right now, I have never put any decals on it at all because until I can get the whole thing detailed, which I've never had the time. It's been two years, and I still haven't been able to go over and do it. I'm not putting a little one on the back where I forget and get out and pop somebody in the head. So, But once I have time and the whole thing is covered in it, and it won't matter to me because uh, it's true. Here, here, here's the, it's you, true. You're taking it to an extreme that you got out of the car and actually popped something in the head. But I would. If you're, uh, well, I know this. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is that let, let's say that I'm riding down the road. I've got the Christian fish in the back of my car, and I'm either going five miles over the speed limit. Oh, yeah. or maybe I accidentally cut somebody off or something like that. My thought is, is that okay? If you're Believing or not believing in Jesus Christ is solely hinged on me. That's right. Then, then that's you're a never going to accept him anyhow. That's I'm right. Sorry. That, that is a real problem. People. That's right. It will give. That's all it will do. It'll give them an excuse to say, "Well, that's why I don't like Christians anyway." That's right. But the point is made that if you have it on your car, you should remember that you have it on your car. Do not get out and pop somebody in the head. But you know my my disposition. I, I get very hot very easily, and I have to step away from things. You see that on Saturday sometimes. I just I step away. Maybe three weeks later, I'll start coming close to that house again because I don't want to do something to disgrace the Lord. But. Uh, Anyway, so there you go, verse 25. 25. 
Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. Okay, that's the beginning of a new paragraph here, mm-hmm. yep. and uh, it, it, it's an important point to consider, because what was the point of circumcision? It's to say that this is my covenant people, and you're supposed to live in a certain way in order to be one of the covenant people. And if you don't, then what's the point of having the sign that says you're the covenant people? So here are my thoughts on that. Paul turns to the ancient rite of circumcision to justify the comments that he's previously made. Four, beginning with four, tells us that what was stated leads to this conclusion. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. The rite of circumcision was given to Abraham in Genesis 17. However, and we've talked about this a hundred times, and I could say it a hundred more and not feel guilty at all. What does it say? He was declared righteous by God in Genesis 15. Two chapters and about 25 years earlier, he was declared righteous. Okay, and that's an important thing to remember. The right was a sign of the declaration, not the other way around. And the Jews were treating it as, you see what I'm saying? They, They had it backwards. It was a sign of the declaration of his righteousness. Okay, therefore, if one keeps the law which was later instituted through Moses, a member of the promised line who received the right, then the circumcision has profit. If not, there's no merit in it. There's absolutely no merit in being circumcised if you're not going to keep the law, which says that I'm a part of this covenant people. I wonder that if that ritual has been adopted by many Christians, if that was not part of well, I don't think so. I, 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 that's where infant baptism comes in from. Okay, and I, I don't think so. I think that it is circumcision actually was probably not practiced by Christians until they realized that it's healthy for you. Right. You know, and so I don't know. I could go back and see if Christians circumcised before, but I doubt it. Mm-hmm. My guess is until rather modern times, it wasn't something that people did because the Bible says don't bother with it, mm-hmm. right? And now we do it for a completely different reason. But water baptism of children, infant baptism, sprinkling, is what they thought was something that we will do this, and it's a sign of being brought into the covenant. And they still do this to this day. R.C. Sproul speaks about it all the time. This is why we do this thing. It makes no sense because a person is, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14, a child is sanctified by the believing parent. There's no reason to give a person water baptism when they're a child because it's supposed to be a picture of what they have decided to do for Christ. Until they make that decision, they're under the parent for sanctification until they're old enough to make that decision, whatever age that is, okay? And so another thing that infant baptism does, and it's something I know this personally because I thought it my whole life, is it gives you a false sense of security. It is a completely stupid thing to do. It started, I think, I could be wrong on this, so don't get a brain squiggle on it, but Augustine or somewhere around that time, they said, we're going to start doing this thing. And it's to bring them into the covenant. It's to sanctify. It does nothing. It does nothing except have negative effects in Christianity. When Jesus said, go and make disciples, uh, baptizing the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, he was talking about doing it to people that have made a decision. Not people that are being told, you know, we need to do this for your child in case they die, they won't go to hell, they'll go to purgatory or some stupid thing. Crazy, crazy stuff. Did you get a surprise when you came home today? 
Yay! All clean little puppies? Uh, look at her smiling. Uh, it, was a, it was a fun time. Okay, so, um, uh, yeah, 225. Hang on, where was I? Um, okay, Abraham was uh, uh, Genesis 17. The declaration was in uh, chapter 15. In order to understand this, okay, let me read the last sentence again. Therefore, if one keeps the law which was later instituted through Moses, a member of the promised line who received the right, then circumcision has profit. If not, then it is entirely without merit. Okay, in under, order to understand this, think of a person who was not of the covenant people. Okay, you're not a, 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 an Israelite. If he was circumcised, perhaps to be a spy against Israel, okay, we're going to bring this right home to Israel, what good would his circumcision do in regards to the law? Nothing, right? It would mean absolutely nothing. The circumcision needs to be accompanied by a belief that what the law is proclaiming is also worth living out. So if they're not doing it, they're as bad as the spy that's in there trying to overthrow him. See it? You see the logic? Yes. Paul then gives a validation of this by turning the premise around. He says, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. If the law was given and circumcision is a sign attached to those who have received it, implying that it is binding upon them, then when the law is broken, the sign means nothing. Suppose you're a citizen of a nation and you're given an oath as a sign of that citizenship. Right? Okay? I promise to defend the Constitution of. As a validation of that, you are given a uniform with stripes and a flag of your nation on it. Okay? If you ship off to war and become a traitor, the uniform means absolutely nothing. Your allegiance has become non-allegiance. And that's what Paul is trying to tell the Jewish people that he's writing to specifically in this verse. He's saying, to oh, you Jew, and then he gets into the, the meat of the entire matter which is circumcision that is the very heart of the matter with the jewish people to this day there is nothing else that brings them closer to saying i'm a jew than that right okay if they don't have that they're not going to be considered a jew by anybody and they're not understanding that that right deals with something that is tied into the rest of their society which they're ignoring and so what they're doing means nothing it just makes them a club okay an outward sign must be accompanied by an inward compass, or the sign means nothing. This is true within a family, within a work environment, or in any other group or organizational context. Without this inward conviction, the outward sign has no point, no purpose. Moses realized this when he spoke to the nation after 38 years of desert wanderings, when he said this in Deuteronomy 10 verse 16. Let me find this here. Give me a second. Deuteronomy 10 verse 16 says, um, Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. That's right. And be stiff-necked no longer. Okay? They were circumcised already, every one of them. And to them, the sign meant nothing. And therefore, they went, walked around in the wilderness. They had done nothing. Uh, I mean, they were, they were under... A type of punishment with God and as a matter of fact all of the younger generation hadn't even been circumcised remember when they got over the Jordan River and they they called it what was it uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the place anyway the hill of foreskins in uh, English but uh, uh, it, it, they actually circumcised so many people that made a little hill of foreskins so anyway it's kind of well it's in the Bible so um, but uh, I 
there you go. Um, got a new squiggle for your brain. All right. Okay. So, um, um, okay. So he said, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. He wasn't concerned at all about the external sign. He was worried about what was inside. Okay. Um, where was I? Um, okay. In the next, very next sentence, verse 17, 10, 17, Moses said that the Lord shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. No partiality is tied directly to the circumcision of the heart. It is an internal conviction, not an outward sign, which demonstrates a person is in right standing with the law. This is especially true because Paul, in fact, the entire Old Testament as well, shows that none can meet the demands of the law perfectly. Therefore, all are guilty before the law, and the sign of circumcision is of no value unless accompanied by faith in what the law provides when the law is broken. Mercy and forgiveness through conviction and repentance, which is on the day of atonement. Right. right, but also what Abraham had before. That's right. So. Abraham believed, and that's why I'm, that's why I'm saying that the entire law comes back to faith, and that's why Moses said, "Circumcise your heart," right? Because they can't meet the law. It's supposed to be tied to the law. I am. Get this right now. I am circumcised because I am a Jew, and because I'm a Jew, I'm supposed to be adherent to God's law, which established me as the covenant people, right? But then the Bible says nobody can meet the law, right? So nobody should be circumcised. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that the circumcision is a badge of something greater than the law itself. Faith, which the law provides in the Day of Atonement. Because you've already broken the law. Every single person in Israel broke the law every single year for 1,500 years. Every one of them. Not one person ever met it. And so it has to be of faith. Okay, and if you don't have the, your heart circumcised, it means nothing to be have your physical body circumcised. Well, circumcision because you, <clears throat> um, pictures, as we've learned, uh, cutting off the sin. That's right. Sin That's for, all that it was. And I'll, just so you understand what he just said, because he he remembers this, but some might not. The sign. I, I, matter of fact, I talked to somebody yesterday. I, this guy, uh, he's out at my house doing some work, and before he left, I said, "I need to talk to you. I need to know." If you died today, where are you going to go? And he said, first thing, I'm going to heaven. And I said, why? Well, I don't know. That doesn't mean that somebody isn't saved, and I'll tell you that right now. But it means that they're very confused about their salvation. Okay? So I talked to him, and I found out he does believe in what the Bible asks. Do you believe, you know, if you have uh, called in the name of the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But in order to make sure that he understood that pre premise, that precept, I took him through exactly what you just talked about, circumcision. I said, that while I was talking, that wasn't the only thing I talked to him about, but I said, that is why the Jews circumcised, is because it was a picture of Christ to come. Sin travels through the father. It does not travel through the mother. However, every person in here has a father, right? Was anybody here born without a father? No, we're all born of a mother and a father. Sin travels... Let me stand up and do this. You've got Adam, you've got Eve, okay? Eve transgressed, but the sin was Adam's because he is the federal head. He was the one to make the decision. Sin through man, Paul says. Sin came through one man, it entered the world, and thus all sin. I, I know we're early. We're going to get to this later again in Romans, but I just want you to see this. All sin. 
His sons all sinned. Guess what? His daughters all sinned too through him. Okay? So everybody has sinned all the way through. We've got branch after branch after branch of people sinning. Everybody has sinned because of one man. You bear the sin in you the moment that you were conceived. Original sin. Original sin. That's what the Bible teaches. You know the Bible, the rapture isn't true. Do you know why? Because the Bible never mentions the rapture. Right? <laughs> guess what? It never mentions the Trinity, but guess what? It's, a, it's something that everybody that is Orthodox Christian believes in. Mm -hmm. And original sin is the same thing. Does it say anywhere in the Bible original no. sin? No. no. But the precept is taught. And so don't let people throw these side arguments at you, especially like on Facebook. There's no such thing in rapture. The Bible never says that. It's so stupid because if it teaches a doctrine, the trumpet's going to sound and we're all going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye and thus we'll all be with the Lord and uh, mixed to uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4 there. But it teaches it. It doesn't matter if it says rapture or not. Okay, but it does say rapture. It just says it in the Greek, harpazo, right? These are all things that we assign the concept. That's right. It's like, you know, and this this only makes sense. The original sin was the first sin. It was the first it, sin, and it transfers to everybody else. So everybody gets, so circumcision, that's what, okay. It transfers to everybody. How do we get rid of that original sin? That is what Abraham was given. He believed God, faith, in Genesis 15, verse 6, okay? But the sign was given in Genesis 17. As I said, 25 or so years later, two chapters later, a lot happened in the meantime, but the sign was given. The sign was given for a different reason than most people uh, understand. There's a reason that God specifically gives him, but there's also a picture of Christ being made. The sign of circumcision is, ladies, close your ears for a second, it's cutting the male organ, okay? That is what circumcision <laughs> is. Sin travels through the male and thus through the male organ, okay? That's just the reality of the situation. So what did he do? He said, we're going to do this on every male. We're going to cut the male as a picture of sin being cut in man. And how does that happen? We come along... All of these people, and all of a sudden, God picks one way, way, way down here named Mary, this girl, Mary. And he says, you know what? I'm going to do something through you that has been prophesied since the very beginning of the Bible. It was in the sign of circumcision. It's all the way through the Bible, and you're going to be the one. Mary has sin of her own, original sin transferred to her. Don't believe the doctrine of no. immaculate conception. Yeah, right, right, right. Immaculate right. conception has nothing to do with Jesus. It's saying that she was born without sin. That is not true, because if that's true, then everybody could be that way, and God's righteousness is called into question. That is a heresy. So don't ever let anybody tell you that Mary was born without original sin. Mary was a sinful person, but guess what? God the Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, went into her womb, and a child was conceived, but there's no human father. So the sin is cut. cut. It's cut, and that's the picture that circumcision is making. It's cutting original sin out of a human being, okay? And so he is born without sin. He's born under the law. Now he's got to live that law out perfectly. If he can do that, unlike Adam, who was born without original sin, right? But he sinned, so he's out. And if he can do this perfectly then guess what? He was born without original sin. He lives under the law that God, he gave to Israel, right? If he can do that and he can die before sinning or without ever sinning, then we have 
the sin nature cut. And that's what Christ did. He cut the sin, and therefore, Paul will explain this all the way throughout the Bible. You know, it's just everywhere. But he's going to tell us that if we believe in what he did, he becomes our new federal head, and we move from him to him. And he explains that specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He is no longer our federal head. We die with him, and our sin is buried with him. But because he had no sin of his own, death couldn't hold him. Wait till we get to the book of Jonah. Oh, okay. Wow. Oh, my hair's standing up. Oh, great, great stuff coming. Okay, so um, um, where were we? Circumcision. What's that? Oh, yes. Do the Jewish families still take the boy to the rabbi on the eighth day? Yes. Oh, 100%. That's something they never miss. Absolutely. They don't allow it done in the hospitals. Well, the rabbi does it. He can come to the hospital, but they, he, they, the rabbi does it. And there's a right that goes along with it. And as a matter of fact, I just read, I, I'm not going to include it in a prophecy update, but I read that one rabbi's in big trouble because he cut off too much this past week. Yeah. So it's just something I read. So, yeah. Oh, boy. I mean, mistakes happen, and those things are sharp. So, uh, it, yeah, that, that just happened. So um, you've, you've seen that before? Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Well, we've, we've got a doctor that that was a specialty for years and years was that particular part of the human anatomy. So. Today is when the clotting mechanism. Yeah. That's right. The, the K factor is the highest in the human on the eighth day. That's why the Jews do Absolutely. But they didn't know that. That wasn't discovered until last century. So that's right. Science had to catch up with the Bible on that. Amazing stuff. Absolutely amazing. Okay. They give them a what? They do a circumcision. They give them what? Well, vitamin K. Vitamin K. When yep. Yep. Wow, wow, wow. But here the Lord had that all all figured out yeah. so long ago. Amazing. Yeah, but now they actually give you K when you're born, is what you're saying. Right. See? Well, we're catching well, up. Science is catching when up. I was in wow. Yeah. I don't know what they're doing right well, now. Well now yeah, that's sure right. They are. Well how how long did you practice? About 30 years. 30 years. You know, Grandpa, he, he was a doctor. Okay, so here's my Grandpa. His life was divided into threes, just like Moses. I knew him. Oh, yeah, I know that. Yeah, you, you, didn't you work with him or closely? Yes, yes you did. Okay. Yeah. Well, he, what he said is he, he went to school for the first third of his life, and he be, got into practice, and so quickly medicine changed in the 50s and 60s. By the 70s, he says, I can't keep up at all. And so he retired because he didn't want to do more harm than good. He says, wow. I, I, I can't keep up with... Imagine the medical advances that have come, especially wars and things and yeah. people in, you know, it, it, amazing. But anyway, he retired and uh, he spent the last third of his life doing pretty much nothing but playing solitaire. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah. Oh, he was a great solitaire player. He played hours and hours and hours. Yeah. But he, he smoked and played solitaire. And I'll tell you a story, just so that if you're smoking, you're online, and you say, I can't quit smoking. This is to help you with that, okay? He, every year, would go up to Massachusetts with my grandmother. They drive together, okay? And every year, he would stop at the same place. He did this for like 20 years. And he would talk to this guy, and he'd buy a, a carton of cigarettes from him. And one year, he, now this is a guy that started smoking when he was about 12 years old. And he smoked for a, it was I think about 75 when he quit smoking mm. they got about 20 or 30 miles past this guy's place and he said darling I forgot to stop at that guy's uh, 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 to buy the cigarettes 
and he said, I'll never smoke again. He took out his cigarettes that were on it, and he crushed them, and he says, I'll never smoke again, and he quit that day. And he said, I had no cravings. I had determined in my mind to do it, and he did it. And he said, within a week, everything tasted better, everything smelled. He said, I could smell smells that I hadn't smelled since I was a little boy, and it was like being young again. So if you smoke and you want to quit, it's right here. That The Lord will give you that ability if you want to. Well, that, that's a possibility. You can die of a heart attack because of the shock, but he didn't. He lasted years, how many years later, and then he died of a stroke. So, um, Okay, so we got to go on. Um, let's see here. Um, the importance of uncircumcision is of such weight and moment to Paul that he will use the term 19 times in his letters. Only one other time it is used in the New Testament, which is in the book of Acts. Understanding this connection between the inward change and the right clearly shows that baptism, which we talked about a minute ago, is not a New Testament equivalent of circumcision. It is not. I've defended this very clearly, and I'll tell you about that in just a second. Infant baptism carries with it the same inherent flaw as of what Paul speaks of. To understand the fault of tying infant baptism in with circumcision, you may want to take the time, if you've never watched, to go back and watch my sermon from Genesis 17, verses 9 through 14. It's called Circumcision, Shadows of the Coming Messiah. And that will show you very clearly what the purpose of it was. I talk about some of this. I, talk, I go into great detail about it. And Reformed theologians that say you should circumcise, I'm sorry, uh, baptize when they're an infant and all that, it is completely wrong. If that's the only baptism you've ever had, be rebaptized because you're showing an obedience to the Lord by following him in a picture of his death, burial, and resurrection. So if you've only received a infant baptism, it means nothing. You need to be obedient to the Lord and follow what he says to do. Two ordinances that we observe as Christians, and only two. What are they? Lord's Supper. That's right. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. That is it. We don't do the Catholic thing with seven seven ordinances and all that crazy stuff, last, last rites and all that. Totally unbiblical. There are two ordinances in Scripture that Christians are to follow. If you don't do either, you will not go to hell. You will not suffer punishment. You will not go to purgatory. It is simply showing disobedience to the Lord, and you'll not get your rewards for that because he's asked you, to, he's told you to do it not asked you, he's commanded that we do it and that's why we take the Lord's Supper every single Sunday is because the Lord has said to do it that right? used to drive me nuts elsewhere when we would do it once every like three, three months, months or something it was yeah. like stop like, some churches they never do it <laughs> I, the church down the road that I attended for several years you know what the Lord's Supper was? Mm-hmm. potluck they'd get together <laughs> once every two months or so and they'd have a potluck and that was it that was their Lord's that's what they called the Lord's Supper. Remember that? It was really good, though. Those ladies could cook. Wow. Oh, my. It was always the best time. You go home feeling like Thanksgiving Day, but it, that's not the Lord's Supper. You're supposed to be reverent. You're supposed to follow the, the way that it's laid out in 1 Corinthians 11. That is the Lord's Supper. So there you go. Um, okay. Shadows of the Coming Messiah, if you want to watch that, it'll explain that to you a lot better than I am off the top of my head. And a life application. We, uh, let's see, if you're relying on an external sign, right, or affiliation in order to please God, you have made an error in your thinking. You've got an error in your theology. The holiness of God demands that all who enter his promised heaven must be perfect in all ways. We cannot have flaw to enter his presence. Nothing can be added to an imperfect being to make him perfect. Absolutely nothing. Instead, there must be a complete 
change in the person. Moving from unrighteousness to righteousness. Okay? This can only come about by faith in what God can do. Not man. This can only come about through Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus today. If there is anything, like I asked that guy yesterday, why should you go to heaven? And I'm glad he didn't say, because I'm a good guy. I, he said, um, I, I can't remember his answer, but it wasn't one of those. I'm doing this, or I'm doing that. Because if he says that, he's probably not saved. People can be saved and think that because they're confused about their theology. But if you think that you are going to please God in any way, you can't make something perfect out of something which is imperfect. It can't be done. God can do it, but you can't. And so anything that you do will never be enough to satisfy God. Make sure you remember that when you witness to people, that imperfection cannot make itself perfect. It's just one of those things that people have to understand. There's nothing you can do. Only Christ can do it, and the only way you can come to Christ is through <clears throat> faith. Okay? You can't buy your salvation. You can't say, Jesus, I'm going to go do He's already done it. He's gone. There's nothing we can give him now because he's gone. All we can do is have faith in what he's done. Okay? 226. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? Good question, Paul. Another question, which is actually an affirmative statement, now comes from his hand. A man who has not been circumcised and yet keeps the law will be considered as one who was circumcised. Remember, circumcise your hearts. And that's repeated not just by Moses, it's repeated by Jeremiah. He says, you know, circumcise your hearts. He's calling the people to come back to the Lord. Um, he says, as previously noted, Abraham believed God and it was counted as righteousness in Genesis 15. His circumcision, the sign of the covenant, didn't come until many years later in Genesis 17. The sign in no way added to his state of righteousness. He's already righteous. Is he more righteous because he got circumcised? No, he's righteous. He's either unrighteous or he's righteous. Paul is teaching through his words that God's approval of man does not in any way depend on the external appearance of the individual. And this is where the Jewish people have got it so wrong today. Everything is external. Everything is external. Every Jew I know, I'm circumcised, and I do this, and I do that, and I do this, and I do that. On Yom Kippur, I say my blah, blah, blahs, and I teshuvah this, and I... It, it, it doesn't do anything. Everything they do is external, okay? But rather... The condition of one's heart and their actions, which are aligned with the right heart condition. He finishes this verse with, Will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? Okay, do I go into Galatians at all in this verse? Like, hang on a second. I don't. So I'm going to say right now. That's what Paul speaks about in the book of Galatians. Circumcision means nothing. Thank you. Means nothing. Nothing. And he says that specifically. It means nothing. If circumcision means nothing, and that's the sign that the Jews hold on to as their badge of righteousness, then nothing, nothing at all can make you right with God. Nothing except Jesus. If circumcision doesn't do it, guess what? Nothing's going to do it. Okay, that is their boasting point. I'm a Jew and I have been circumcised. So, so we need to remember that. Galatians is a great book to understand this, but brought that in. Okay, <clears throat> The term be counted, which he uses, is the Greek word logis thesetai. Uh, it comes from the verb logizomai, okay, which means to consider or to reckon. 
The verb is used in Romans 4, verse 3, where Paul quotes the account of Abraham from Genesis 15. He says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. God imputed righteousness to Abraham because of his faith. There were no deeds attached to the faith, but simply an acceptance of what God had said was true. Do you remember the account? He's there, he's struggling with his life, and the Lord comes and says, look up at the stars. Many as the stars are in the heaven that you can see, so shall your descendants be. And he didn't do anything after that except believe. The Bible says, Abraham believed God, believed the Lord, I think, and he credited to him for righteousness. That was it. There was nothing that Abraham did except believe what he said, and the Bible gives that text right there. Righteousness precedes anything else in Abraham's life that came afterward. Anything. And I brought that up to a Jew one time, and he didn't want to hear that. He did not want to hear that. You know, I, I, I told him, I said, if you'll allow me to speak about Jesus just one time, never bother you again, but I will even give you the, the uh, choice of which subject. And I gave him like five or six different subjects, and he picked righteousness. And I said, okay, where does righteousness come from? And he ham-hawed around for a while, and I said, well, what does it say in the Bible? Genesis 15, verse 6. And he said, oh, okay. And I said, and when was he circumcised? I don't know. He had no idea. I said he was circumcised in Genesis 17. And he says, oh. And then he started getting all uneasy, and he didn't want to talk about it anymore because he understood that it had nothing to do with the sign in the first place, which is all that they're holding on to. So, and hopefully he'll process that and someday say, you know what, I, I ought to get it right because the Bible is my source, but they don't look at it as their source. And they're holding on to the point that points directly to Jesus. That's right. <laughs> that, that's, that's right. But more than anything is they hold on to the Talmud more than they do the Bible. Yeah, okay? And so the Talmud is, is their codification of Jewish law. And you can't do that. It's it just like, like I say every week. You know, you've got these uh, Methodists who have the Book of Discipline. You've got the, this group that has got a right of order. And all of these things in these churches, those can be amended. And if that is where your source comes from, your, your source of your faith, then where is your faith? Something that can be amended. It doesn't mean anything. This cannot be amended. This is written. It may be debated on, you know, which text is the original and blah, blah, blah. And I, that's a completely tried. different... Sure, some have tried. You take the Job's witnesses, but that's not an amending of God's word. That's a corruption of God's yes, word. Right, right. Okay, it's not really God's word if somebody has purposely corrupted Correct. it. Okay, so but once again, we could talk all day long about source texts and all that kind of stuff. We have a sure word here. There's no doubt about. It. Yes, sir. Why don't you tell them what the Talmud is? The Talmud is the codification of Jewish law. It's based on uh, two documents known as the Mishnah and the Gemara. They're the writings of the Jewish people. Uh, the, the rabbis and stuff after the time of Jesus. It doesn't predate Jesus. It comes afterward. You've got two uh, Talmuds, actually, the Babylonian Talmud, and I think it's called the Jerusalem Talmud. The Babylonian Talmud is the one that is the codification of their law, and it's commentaries on the Old Testament. It's, you know, um, legalism written down in uh, a, a, a way that, you know, it just entraps these people. If they want to be good, obedient Jews, which most of them don't, but if they do, they are trapped by this giant body of law which has been written by man which is and then what do they do they make commentaries on it and this this uh, rabbi makes a commentary on it and it just becomes this big expanding bloating thing which it, it's completely unmanageable and it is so far from the word of God that it's astonishing it is astonishing it is not the word of God and like I say we can read John Calvin but does everybody here believe all of what John Calvin wrote? No, but there are people out there that say, I am a Calvinist. 
that is the worst mistake in the world to do is to say I am a I, I I'm a Wesleyan John Wesley right mm -hmm. why would you do that why would you do that well, you have now attached yourself to an individual who is a fallible person you guard against that at least once a month if not more frequently yes. all these these Bible studies and, and, and sermons it's like you know I'm just Charlie Garrett and I'm going to give you what I know my, and don't follow me yeah, and, Check after I do this sermon. Check after we do this Bible study. Because if you're relying on me for your doctrine, you know, a lot of people rely on Les Felduk. Someday they're going to be Feldickians all over the world. I'm telling you, the guy is great, but he is fallible. I know some things and that he says. Which, he says so too. Yeah, he says, he, he, I love that he does that. Yeah. He's, he's a humble guy, but he's fallible. And if you say that I'm a Les Feldickian, you have made a huge error in your theology. <laughs> Calvinist, I'm a Calvinist, I'm a Wesleyan, I'm this and I'm that. Don't do that. Go to the Word, check on everything, don't make a squiggle in your brain until it is resolved, okay? You've got to trust God and not man, including Les Feldick or anybody else. Now, somebody had their hand up, yeah. was it? Yeah. So, do you think the Lord Jesus, when he said uh, you, you referred to, or you abide by the Traditions rather than what I that, say. Again and again he says that. Does that relate also to the, the Talmud? No, that, that, that is their their traditions that they held to. The washing, you know, you got to do this instead of that. And he wasn't saying don't wash your dishes. Okay? He wasn't saying not to be cleanly because people use that verse and they say, well, Jesus didn't know anything. Of the Talmud, no, 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 it wasn't. The Talmud came later. Um, but there were Jewish writings which were probably incorporated into it. Okay. Don't get me wrong with that. But the actual... Compilation of the Talmud was after Christ. Oh, Excuse okay. me, not before. But um, anyway, but those traditions that he speaks about are exactly what we're talking about. They are things that they elevated, even at Jesus' time, to be equal with the law or even surpassing the law. The thing about Korban that we talked about. Mm -hmm. they, they use that to, to actually nullify the law. Don't do that. We don't want to use something that we want in our life to say, I'm not going to do that from God's word. And that's happening right now or whenever that passion thing is. I don't know if it was last week or this, whenever. They are doing that right there. You know, and I'm sure some of them are strong, saved, good believers, but they should not be identifying themselves with those other people. They should not. If, if It's like going to, and I hate to say it because a lot of people really like, what's his name, Glenn Beck, not so much anymore because he's really flipped his lid, but, yeah. but uh, even before... He would go up, what was it, in August of uh, whatever, yeah. two, three, four, five years ago, and he had that big yeah. thing up there, yeah. and he was praying with Christians. He's a Mormon. That is not allowed in the Bible. I don't care how nice of a guy he is, how smart he is, how good he is at gathering people together. That was inappropriate for Christians to go to that because he is a Mormon, and he is not a representative of Christ, and he was trying to uh, trying to present himself as one. So as you, you can't know, do that. son of is a... Hmm. Jehovah. Right. We pray before a meal. Right. Do I kick him out? No. <laughs> but it, it, what you're to do is to not allow him to pray, and you're not to pray right. with him. And I know he just sits there. You've told me he no, doesn't. No, if we go to his house, he, he says. Oh, well, I, I, oh, I really? wouldn't participate with him in that. I no. would not. I'd say, but listen. It sounds I, just like a Christian prayer. He takes the name of Jesus. It's just. Yeah. I know it is. I was in the. I, I went there for three uh, months. Would you say so. Something? Jesus. It's a different Jesus. It's a different Jesus. Yeah, I, I, I would not allow him to pray for me ever. But I think he prays ever. like that, and I think they do that when they bring Jesus Christ. Well, Mormons do it too. But I think they're doing that to make people, for some reason, that might be Christian, be, be attracted to what Well, they of course have. they are. Yeah. Of course they are. 
Nobody's going to openly say, I'm a heretic. Right. Nobody. A Mormon will never say, well, gee, I'm a heretic. Right. They're, they are trying to say, I'm following the same God as you. You have to know what they're teaching, though, right. and you have to know it, and don't mix your prayers. I would not allow that. I, I you know, I'd well, say, listen, we'll come house, over after. I can't. Well, that's right. So, uh, you know, and again, I, I usually I'm saying my own prayer to myself while right. he's in the process of telling <laughs> yeah. us about. All right. Joe well, I just, I, I, I just be careful not to let him feel that you are condoning his prayers oh, by your presence, because as long as he understands the idea is that you are never to mix the holy with the profane. So that's the main thing. As long as he understands that, that you believe that what he is doing is profane, then you're not mixing anything. Just don't let him feel like he's got the upper hand on you with that, because he doesn't. All right. Charlie, yes. wasn't the time completed around 250? I think it was. It was It was about 250 AD, if I remember, right in that time frame. It was before the Council of Nicaea, if I remember that, and that was a 350. So I, I think that's correct. About, yeah. 250 somewhere right around that area and it was like I say it was just a, it was taking things probably that were written before Jesus time at Jesus time but it was saying this is the codification of our law this is the body of law that we will live by and that's the problem with the Talmud so and, and it's a big study there's a lot more to it than that but that's just a general breakdown of well, that was probably their response to what was then living rapture of all these Jews Oh, leaving. absolutely. It's you know, like, you've okay, got all these... Leaving. What's the deal? It's like, you know, what are we going to do to... But it's not just that. It's also other sects that came in. And, you know, to them, Christianity was one of many sects. People were coming out and they were they were making all kinds of, uh, uh, you know, messianic things back then, and they're doing it still to this day. So they needed to say, this is our, oh, this is our body of law. This is what we're going by. But that, that is correct. So um, let's see here. Where are we? I've got to get back to, uh, are we still in 226? Yes. The idea of um, imputed righteousness. Oh, wait a minute. The word is also used. Okay, I was talking about this word here, logismus. Uh, what was it? Uh, uh, logismi. Okay, which means to consider or reckon. It's also used in Luke 22, verse 37. <clears throat> Let me get that for you. Luke 22, verse 37. <coughs> oh, I'm glad I didn't drink any water. My throat's already gooped up enough. Every time I drink water in here, I just, I don't it's know what so it is. But, that is uh, it is. I just, I, I think it's a mixing that with the air conditioner or something. But anyway, um, 2237, for I say this to you, that this which is written must be accomplished in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors, for these things uh, concerning me have an end. Okay? That was uh, when Jesus was counted or reckoned as a transgressor, even though he had done no wrong. So that's what it is. It's to count or reckon something. The idea of imputed righteousness permeates both testaments of the Bible, and it is realized in the work of Jesus. He was circumcised, and he also met the strict demands of the law perfectly. Now, by faith in him and in his actions, we too, as I said, we too can be counted righteous. righteous. Um, where was I now? Um, uh, oh, yeah, I'm back up in this paragraph. I got myself lost by pointing at the, the board. Uh, we can be counted righteousness by mere faith, just as Abraham was, okay? This is what happens when we call on Jesus. We are given the righteousness that Adam once had. We are now giving it, <coughs> given it in Christ, who did not sin, whereas Adam did sin. That's called imputed righteousness. Now, there, there's a difference between two types of righteousness, and I'm not going to talk about it right now, but does anybody know what the other righteousness you have? Imputed and... Imparted. 
imparted righteousness. And I don't want to talk about it now because we're going to get to that in the book of Romans. But there are two types of righteousness, and you have to be careful about this. Do you need another one, Mabel? Maybe. <laughs> oh, she's got one. Okay. All right. Um, I'm giving you a whole box of those to sit with next time. Okay, so um, uh, where was I? Um, okay. Are, are counted as uh, righteous just as Abraham was. Our uncircumcision is counted as circumcision because he was circumcised as a Jew. Okay? If Jesus was circumcised as a Jew and we are now in Jesus, then we bear the traits of Jesus. We bear what the sign that he has. That doesn't mean that we physically do, but we now have what that sign actually pictures. Okay? So, let me read that again. Our uncircumcision is counted as circumcision because of him, because he was circumcised as a Jew. Also, we can now meet the demand, the righteous demands of the law through him as well. His work can be counted as accomplished for us. That's why people say, you know, they talk about the reinserting the law into our lives, right? And we have to do this and we have to do that. And they say, if you keep my commandments, you are one of me. He's already kept them for us. If we're in Christ, then they are as fulfilled in him. Okay? That doesn't mean we can go out and murder people. We've talked about that before. It's in the New Testament not to murder people. But the things that Christ did are reckoned to us. We're either in Christ or we're not. If we're in Christ, then we don't need to walk around with a taliton with a, a blue string in it. He did that for us. Let me go on. Um, life application. As you read the Old Testament particularly the 613 commands of the law given through Moses reflect on the precepts that you have failed to meet. That was God's standard. 613 commands in the law. And I think I've told you this before, maybe not in this class, but the, my, my uh, uh, Jewish friend, he attends Chabad, which is right down the road here, just not too far down uh, Beneva Road, close to uh, Sarasota Square Mall, you know that synagogue that's yep. there? Mm -hmm. My rabbi has met all 613 of the uh. laws of Moses perfectly. Mm. Ooh, wow. I bet you I bet you he's going to die someday, right? If he had met all the laws, he wouldn't die, right? He's met all of them perfectly. Can you imagine how deceived people are to believe that? I could guarantee you that I could pull out 40 of them from the top of my head and say, have you done this? He broke the first one. Well, yeah, he broke the first one. That's right, right there. But I, I, I assure you that if you ask him, did you go to Jerusalem on the last Passover and sacrifice? That's one of the 613 laws. Oh, well, I do Teshuvah now. It doesn't say to do that now. It says to do this. That's, that, that's what, oh, yeah. yeah what, but, you know, once again, if you say that you are doing this thing, you would better be doing this thing. But if Christ has done it for you, then you don't need to do it. All of those things are taken away in Christ. All of them. Okay? Don't forget... Oh, let me go on and let me go back here. 613 commandments of the law given through Moses. Then realize that the meeting these perfectly is God's standard. That's what his standard is. Those 613 laws are his standard. They are what we are required to do if we are to be perfect before our Heavenly Father. Okay? So, don't forget that Jesus prevailed over them despite your failure. He met every one of those 613 laws perfectly. He prevailed, we failed, okay? If you accept his work, it will be imputed to you and the suffering he felt at the cross. That was your punishment being transferred to him. Apply this to your life by demonstrating a grateful heart to the Lord. 
Now, I know she's coughing and you might not have heard what I said, but when we are given his righteousness, he was given something in exchange. He was given our sin. And that sin bore a penalty. And that penalty was Christ's punishment. And that's when he suffered for us and then he was crucified on the cross for us. That is what we are worshiping as the Lord that would do this for us. He wrote that law. He already met the standards forever from infinity past. He was perfect in all of his ways and he came perfect in all ways and he still had to fulfill the law which he gave them. And we don't have time to get into another verse, but what I will do is I'll take you very quickly. I did this in a sermon not too long ago, I think, or maybe, I, I don't remember. I, I talked to you all about this one time, but here's what it says um, uh, when um, uh, Adam and Eve were uh, uh, cursed by the Lord or when he, he uh, condemned them in Genesis 16, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Does that apply to Jesus? In pain, he brought forth children. Right? It's true. In pain, he brought forth children. If you're a child of God, he did it in pain for you. Okay? Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. That pertains to him in a different way. He is our husband. He will rule over us. Okay? Then to Adam, he said, Because of you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. What is uh, Jesus called in Isaiah 53? A root out of dry ground. He came out of the cursed ground of the earth, okay? In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. He lived among us. He toiled just like we all did. He ate of it. He had to rely on women to pay his bills, right? In toil he ate of the food just as we all did. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. The crown of thorns, right? He wore the thorn, which he sentenced the man, and yet he took the man's sentence in everything that is... I'm not going to give you the detail of the sermon I did on this, but if you watch that sermon, you will see the exact detail of how every one of these pointed to Christ. Um, uh, and you shall eat of the herb of the field, the Passover, the bitter herbs, right? He is our Passover lamb. He didn't just eat the Passover every year. He was the Passover. He was the bitter herbs. Okay, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. What happened on the night in Gethsemane? Sweat like blood. The sweat of his face. And the, the idea is that the sweat is rolling down your face as you're working and it hits your nose and it drops off into the ground, right? He worked for us where we don't have to work. Okay, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, which he did. He returned to the ground which he created for you. Okay, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. That one didn't apply to him, because he did not sin. And so he went into the ground, and he prevailed over. I can't wait for Jonah. Oh, so exciting. All of this is just so exciting. Anyway, the, the curse, and that, like I say, that's just a cursory look at those. I go into detail in it in that particular sermon. Christ did all of that for us. He did that for you and for me, and all of the wicked things that we think and do every single day, he did for us. Okay, so when we think about what, what, who we are worshiping and the context that we're in, we always want to return to the cross of Jesus. We want to make sure that that is the focus of our lives. Hebrews 12, 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And that doesn't just mean on the cross, it means after the cross, it means before the cross. And everything that he has done, he has done for the people that he made. And that's what makes it so remarkable is that people just flippantly curse his name and they... 
and he died for them too. And I was one of those people for 36 years. Unbelievable. So um, we got to finish up here. It's just that time of day. So um, uh, I had another thought that I was going to tell you, and I can't think of it right now. It get a little emotional when I start thinking about what Christ did. But Tom Alley, would you close us in prayer today? Thank you for this time tonight. It was so amazing to sit here and listen to it, to Charlie. And things that you've revealed to him in your word, Lord, and given it over so many times. It's just so impressive that you would reveal this to him, that he could share it with us. And I pray that. Uh, each one here will just take something away from this time tonight to put in our hearts and just allow us to practice in our lives. We give you the praise of and the things we say and do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Tom. Okay, let me back this up. Yeah, let's see here. we got to go to break, and then I'll be back in a second. Say goodbye all to these wonderful people out there. There we go. Have a wonderful week. We love you, okay? We'll see you soon. Maybe.